Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Did we make it over the hump of February? Are we through the worst? I don't want to jinx it, but come on, people. I have had a difficult winter. You've hearing me whine for months, right? I twisted my ankle. I bumped my head. Then I got a cold. Like, come on. This has been rough. My kids today, we're walking in the car on the way. They drop them off at piano before I come here. And all I could think was like, oh, this is that sunshine. I know this sunshine. This is the sunshine that's coming the right way. It might be five degrees, but I don't know. I think we did it. We did it together. All right. As always, what do I need today? I need to hear from you. I need to know what are you cooking? Come on, everybody. Tell me who's got cookies going who's got all the chicken carcasses in a pot getting this getting all your chicken broth going i made some chicken broth a couple weeks ago i kind of lost track of it maybe five or ten times and just kept kind of bringing it back to a boil to kill any bacteria my friends my chicken broth was a gelatin and it was a glorious thing it would just take it out of the fridge It, it would just stay solid it was a great thing so, I don't know, text me, 81807. We're talking all domestic things today. I have a recipe roundup that is healing winter soups. It just went up on the website. Those recipes are fresh and lovely. I have an important discussion that's happening all hour, too, with Michelle Vig of Neat Little Nest. So have you been part of the Marie Kondo craze Okay, here's how it was in my personal life. One day, all my friends suddenly had this cute little book on their coffee tables, and it was about the life-changing magic of tidying up the Marie method. Um, and then all my friends were like, you got to get in. We're, we're cleaning. We're doing things. I was like, no, I am. I love clutter. I live... Check me out in my Victorian house, my Victorian lifestyle. I got books here. I got little knickknacks. I I just love it. I love to just buy random things. I love to, you know, have too much vintage jewelry, all the things. I just love it. Just objects. The world is full of them, and they're also in my house. Then, several years later, all of a sudden, Marie Kondo's on Netflix. That's all anybody can talk about. Well, that's my story. I've got Michelle Vig here in the store in the studio with me. We're going to be talking about the Con Marie method, the Marie Kondo lifestyle, the essence and meaning of clutter, like all the things because Michelle Vig has a different personal journey. She had she was the first Minnesota officially certified uh, Marie Kondo style declutterer. She knows all the things about the Con Marie method. Um, and we're gonna kind of talk about all the things. And he is going to be like crossfire, like clutter, no clutter. Or we'll maybe get a little more sophisticated than that. All right, Michelle, welcome to the show. It's so good to be here. Oh, 
All right. You got to tell me. That was my version of Marie Kondo, like it's something I see on the horizon for a long time. What is your relationship to the? How did you first hear about her? Kind of similar, actually. It was probably a few years ago when I read the book. Maybe it was around 2015 or when it came out. I read the book, and I really liked it. It was the first time that I – and I've always kind of had a passion for organizing, but I'd never really thought about the principles and the way that she was describing them in the book. So I just gave it a go. I started working on my closet and then my books, and I realized, wow, I really didn't have a clear picture of why I was keeping things or why I wasn't. And when I was going through my house and only was keeping things I really loved, so getting rid of that thing that I, I don't know if I had permission finally to just, you know, get rid of something I didn't love anymore. It was, it was freeing for me because the KonMari method and, you know, you're describing your Victorian home, it is surrounding yourself with stuff you love. And if you love little knickknacks and things and they bring you joy, they should be in your space. But what I found for myself I had a lot of things in my space I didn't really love at all. So it was a really big eye-opener to me that it was much more connected to surrounding yourself with things you love. Okay, so you started with the book. And then what did you do to get certified? Did you go to Japan or did you do it here in California or what what happened? Yeah, I wish I would have gone to Japan, but I actually did it in the States. I took the seminar in Chicago. It's a pretty rigorous course. So first you have to submit pictures of your own spaces to get in. Oh no, really? Every, every cupboard and, you know, crevice that you have organized so that you, you know, they select you. You don't just get in. Okay. That just gave me such an anxiety spike. The idea of photographing my cupboards, like heaven forfend. Okay, go on. Well, and I was kind of nervous too. My friends said, well, if they don't let you in, I don't know who they let in. So <laughs> Then I went to Chicago. We had three intensive days. It was 80 people in my class. There were only 12 from the U.S. Most of the people were from around the world. We went in very detail into the process and worked with her team, Marie Kondo's team, asking questions. And on the final day, Marie was there helping teach us and answer more additional questions. And after the seminar, we did practical work in people's homes to learn it more thoroughly, and finally we took a test. Then we were certified. All right, so we have a friend in common, and and she initially was like, you got to have Michelle come over and help you, and then that's going to inspire you to to write about her. And 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 the thought of having like an organizational specialist in my home was so like, oh, uh, just literally, I just went, put my hand to my forehead and kind of swooned back on my fainting couch. Like it's so upsetting. But uh, so. You, what do you mean you were always an organizational, like you always like to do this? I always, when I look back, I always had a passion for it. I, fo- I found myself inside of my mom's cupboards in my home that I grew up in, and I would just get whatever, you know, we didn't have a lot of money, so I would take whatever container, shoebox, and sort of just put things together. And I didn't really think too much about it because, I, you know, I, it just was something that came natural to me. Oh, interesting. Well, I I do always believe that like reason human beings are so uh, successful is because some of us are very good at lying under a tree and having ideas, and some of us are very good at organizing things, and some of them are very good at building things. And it's and as a giant swarm, we get a lot done, but we have our individual uh, bits and bobs that are kind of. Uh, so yours is bit. You've just as a little child just been organizing. All right, this is. I have a very lively discussion, people, happening on my Facebook feed, which is Dara.Grumdahl, about this. We have people who 
glory and clutter and comforts them. So that's kind of what you were saying, that some people, some people just love to be surrounded by things they love. Yes. And then I've got somebody else, uh, Brian, is writing in and saying, you know, there's just nothing like having a place for everything. And that a lot of people, when they have clutter, it disrupts the rhythms of life and causes anxiety and depression. And so that I, I've seen that side, too. So tell me about this. You, through your website, uh, Neat Little Nest, you have clients. I imagine that it's not just stuff you're working on. It's also anxieties, personalities. Like you must be kind of like a therapist who's also in the house, right? So tell me about what like you yes. really work with people. Yes. I, and I joke, I am like a clutter therapist because I do – there are some organizers who go into people's homes when they're not there. They sort through their things. They put them in nice bins, and then they leave. Oh, like Mary Poppins. Like Mary Poppins. And I don't do that. So I work alongside them because we, we are able to have conversations about what kind of – what do they envision for their life? What are they envisioning that this space should become? And that's what we're working toward. Yes, we're looking at their items, and I'm creating systems and making them look as beautiful as they are practical – but it really is about going through the areas that they're finding trouble with to give them a sense of peace. I mean, that's usually that's the word I hear the most is I really am feeling overwhelmed and I would like to have a feeling of peace. Well, yeah, it's uh, there's just so many different parts of our clutter, right? There's the uh, oh, there's just all the little weird cords and the strange little, did you ever just go through your house and then you find these chargers and you just think like, what could these be to if I throw them out and then they're, then I find the piece of electronics that they belong to, I'm going to spend 90 bucks to get a new charger, but where do I keep these chargers forever? And then you just swooned your fainting couch, right? That's how that goes. But so let's talk about those. We were talking in the green room and you say, the cl- there's a reason that people start with clothes, and it was not what I thought it would be. Yeah, the reason, that, the KonMari method, just to kind of give some background for the listeners, is instead of going room by room, they go category by category by category, starting with clothes, then going to books, then going to papers. And the reason that you start with clothes is it's usually the easiest category. People have looked at their clothes, they've gone through their clothes more than once in their life if they've changed sizes of clothes. So we start with clothes, and as they go through each category by category, they start to learn and hone their radar for determining what is it that I really love and what is it that I don't. What is it that I want to keep and what is it that I want to let go? So when you get to some of the more difficult spaces, and one of those is the kitchen. There's a lot of things in the kitchen, a lot of miscellaneous items. The last category, which comes after that, is sentimental. And you not, never want to start with sentimental because it's just too difficult to start with sentimental when you're going through the journey of decluttering because you can get stuck in sentimental for, for days. I do. I have often said to my friends in New York that one of the reasons I live in the Midwest because I have a big house and then I can just put things in the basement and I don't have to think about it. So that gives you a little insight into my true self. My true self has some file folders of like interesting things from college that I, don't, I can't make heads or tails of. But uh, they're just in a, in a file cabinet in the basement and I don't have to think about them right now. But well, uh, Funny truth about the basement with Marie, Marie when we were in our seminar, she, that was a concept that wasn't really you – know, re- the Americans were talking about the basement and we were asking questions about what about the basement. There's a lot of people who have a bunch of things in their basement. And if, they, if the category method says – 
get all the papers from your entire house? Are you to go into the basement and go into the bins and get all those out too? And she said, well, of course. And we kept asking, like, do you know what we mean by this thing called the basement? And there was a lot of jokes about that Americans have a different, there is a different way to look at that because there are a lot of people with basements and garages. And that is different than the culture that Marie comes from and how she, you know, hadn't really had to dig into that before. Yeah, I grew up in New York City, as people know, and then there you have a culture of the storage unit. And so there you you have, like, the things you can't quite get your head around getting rid of that seem important, and then you put them in your storage unit, and then that's another whole, like, category of human behavior when you just decide to stop paying the lease on your storage unit. And then it just That's a, a big severing of stuff. You're like, oh, it doesn't give me joy anymore. I'm going to stop paying to maintain it. All right, that's complicated. But um, oh, we need to take a break. But we well, we'll come back. We're going to talk about this whole Marie Kondo, call Marie, and why the kitchen is so complicated. Because it really is, uh, I find that my kitchen table is the absolute center of the house. All the little things come in, the little art projects, the, the pieces of paper that tell you very important things about History Day that are you know for next week, and you kind of can't put them anywhere because they're on fire, so to speak. Hopefully they don't get really on fire because then you don't know how to do History Day. But that kind of stuff. So we'll talk about Marie Kondoing the Kitchen with Michelle Vig from Neat Little Nest when we come back, and you can join the discussion. You got... Opinions about clutter, 81807. Dara here. Okay, I'm talking about decluttering and the uh, the Marie Kondo universe of, of thinking about cleaning the Marie method with Michelle Vig. Michelle lives in town in Minneapolis, St. Paul. She's got a company called Neat Little Nest. She was the first Minnesota certified person in that whole Marie system. We've been talking about that. Um, it's very difficult. People's uh, identities, people's uh, your, your comfort, a lot of it is your stuff, right? And also, confession, I have like a hundred tiny jars right now going the project go in the basement because I'm trying to gather things for a candle making project for the kids. So it's like, oh my, do not think I am not preaching unto you about not cluttering because I literally have three kitchen grocery bags full of clean little jars that are going to be a. <laughs> that are going to be a class project. They do not. They are, they are not sparking joy. They are just. A, they are just a thing I'm doing apparently right now. But anyway, I got a really uh, meaningful text after 45 years in my house. Last fall, I had to condense to move into one bedroom in my son's home. Traumatic. I lived loved all my stuff. That I I totally get that. That is you know when I think about you know your grandmother's sofa. I have these. Silly little cordial glasses that are my grandma Millie's. I never use them. I love them very much. To part with them would be dramatic. I never, I never use them. I haven't used them in 17 years. They're silly. Uh, They're gorgeous, and I love them. And shout out to Grandma Millie in heaven. I love you too. Um, but you know, it's it's all of those things. So you were saying before that sentimental is the most difficult, but kitchens and sentimental. So we're just right here. You know, so talk about that, that 45 years in your house, and then you suddenly got to get into one room. That's just, I can't think of anything more difficult. Yeah, it is difficult. And having, you know, having personally moved my parents from their home they'd been in our entire lives, it is a very important time for children to be 
kind of kind and with their parents as they're going through it. You know, we, I have three brothers and one of my brothers took an approach that was a little bit more, you don't need this, I'm going to throw it away. And it's, it's why I'm such a believer in the KonMari method. The person who owns the pieces needs to decide. And when you have to condense, you know, that much stuff into a small space, it does take time for that person. It takes time for them to really work through it. It, it is not an easy time at all, especially when you're, it sounds like from that text, maybe forced to in a, in a time frame that wasn't, didn't allow for, you know, that the, to be kind to yourself and kind of work through the feelings and emotions. Yeah, I mean, there's just so much, so much uh, emotion in so many objects. So let's talk about the kitchen. So that's, you know, you were saying that that's a, a difficult place. Um, and I'm thinking about my own kitchen. I mean, it's just where everything comes. Everything comes. It comes in the kitchen. It gets put on the kitchen table. There we are. Yeah, and the kitchen is oftentimes is that for most families. So there's there is the kitchen stuff, which is the food. And there is the kitchen items that are the how you make the food. And then there's this third category that's usually in the kitchen, which is the command center. And when you do the KonMari process, it's why papers comes before miscellaneous. So papers, working through papers is clothing, books, then papers. The papers category is one of my personal favorites. I love going through it with my clients because it's probably the category they hate the most. And when you go through papers and you and you really simplify and you get a system for where your what items you're going to need to file, and then you have a system for how you're handling the things that needs attention, like the basketball practice and whatever other items, you've done that before you've actually started to organize your kitchen. So you're having those conversations before that. So so many of those papers, though, it's like you know they you pick them up and then they require six steps. You know, it's like I've got to call this person, I've got to you know, make this spreadsheet. I've got to do this thing. And it's just one little piece of paper sitting on your table. But, it, you know, what it represents is maybe 45 minutes of little tiny other tasks. Absolutely. It's probably one of the reasons most that when I work with people with papers, I try to get I try to um, encourage them to have a daily paper habit. And instead of thinking that you have to do all those 14 tasks on that one piece of paper, the task is actually just putting it in this stand up magazine file that says needs attention. It doesn't mean it needs your attention right now. It's just a place where you can hold it so it doesn't have to be, you know, on a flat surface in the kitchen. You can recycle your recycling. You can put those things that need attention. And when you have time, when you can sit down actually at the kitchen table, maybe with a cup of coffee or a cup of tea, when you can take care of the tasks, then it's a lot easier to focus on those tasks. It's just such a, it's such, it's such, oh gosh, it is so huge. I've got a, a comment on Facebook. Uh, on Facebook, again, I'm Dara.Grumdahl. Uh, I condoed my kitchen. That's, I guess we're going to make that a verb, Marie Kondo, to condoed. I condoed my kitchen last month, and it has made me so much happier when cooking. Everything has a place in my drawers, and there's nothing in there I don't use. That seems good. Is that the goal? It is the goal. And, it, you know, really, especially for kitchens and chefs and non-chefs, mise en place, that's the biggest, you know, kitchen phrase you've got. And it organizing is doing the same everything in its place. So when you have a place for things in your kitchen, it makes cooking in your kitchen a lot easier. When my when we go into a kitchen, oftentimes what I see is there's two really big areas that are challenged. One is the drawers. And the drawers, there's there's some there's so many off-the-shelf solutions to help you manage your drawers that just know that if you have a kitchen drawer that's all jumbled, it's not your fault. 
it does need to it needs dividers in order for it to have to be contained and used properly. So dividers in the kitchen drawer is an easy, quick solution. And the second one is the pantry. And it is how you're going to subcategorize your food so you always know where it goes. So instead of just putting all the packaging in there, it's where are, where are the cans going to go? Where is rice going to go? You know, just subcategorizing those pieces. Yeah, I took a bunch of stuff out of one of my pantries once, and, and I discovered that I had something like 19 jam jars. I was like, okay, it's time to stop purchasing jam for this year. There will be no more jam purchases made. And I, and if you had asked me if I had 19 jars of jam, I would have said, no, of course not. Who would do that? That's just a crazy person. But apparently, every time I walked through a farmer's market, I saw a delicious-looking one, and that's how you turn. I'm not a crazy cat lady. I'm a crazy jam lady. I just have just surrounded by sweet, sweet aging jams. Barely. But uh, all right. So we were talking before about, I mean, those kind of junk, like things that you, you and your own heart characterize as junk, like all of the weird chargers. You were saying you work with a client who had, you know, the strange basket of a hundred chargers and didn't feel like she could part with them. Yeah, she, I mean, she had a box and it was labeled properly electronics. And I said, we're going to do electronics. Every time I said that word, it was as if, you know, I could see her, her body language saying, no, I don't want to do electronics. So then we took ice while she was doing another task. I took all the electronics out and started separating it to kind of divide it into simple bite-sized pieces. And then I would just ask her, do you, you know, what, do you know what this is for? And if she knew, then we labeled it. If she didn't, I just... I didn't focus on it for just a second. We just got through all the things that she knew. And she even even her at the end, and this was maybe a 10-minute thing when we were going back and forth, she she knew all but one of the items. And she even said after we were complete, she she said, wow, I didn't, I just assumed I didn't know where all this stuff went, and it was causing me to be, you know, a little anxious about it. But I, I guess I did know. And then we just created space for it where they could live, and she was, she felt great. Yeah, because it can do that. It can kind of trigger all of those feelings of like, I'm a mess. I'm a fraud. You know, people on the outside think I'm a successful professional. But if they only would look on this particular shelf, they would just find this hodgepodge of, you know, batteries. I don't know if they work and um, light sticks that I don't know if they work and strange little doodads and screws you find on the floor and you don't know what they could possibly belong to. And if you throw them out, does that mean your ceiling fan's going to come crashing down? Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, um, yeah, it's all of that. And then you see pictures in magazines and everyone's always living. It looks like they live in the museum of modern art. Just like, it's just me and my one chair, my one magazine and clean floor as far as the eye can see. Oh, those drive me crazy because that's, you know, my cat is just constantly going into the Legos, finding a kid Lego, putting it in the corner of the room. Oh, now I look like a crazy person with one Lego in the corner. So you've obviously touched a nerve with me. (laughs) Well, you know, I always say organizing isn't the goal. It's really simplifying people's lives. So people are going to live. There's going to get stuff that's out of place. There's going to be too much on the kitchen table. The the biggest question that my clients are looking for from me is, but do you know where it should go when it's time for it to go away? And if the answer is no, if there's no home for it, then it's really difficult, especially with parents with children. If there is no real home, it's hard to hold your children accountable to put it where it belongs if they don't actually know where it goes. And that's when you start to see a lot of that, the, you know, the trouble happening when you don't actually have a designated spot. It's hard to keep your your home tidy. But everyone's lives regular lives. They're going to 
be messy from time to time. And then you've kind of expanded this. You're doing a series. You'll be talking at Mount Olivet Lutheran Church on March 4th in the evening. I'm very interested in this. And then you're doing a three-part series at St. Andrew's Lutheran Church in the evening talking about different types of clutter. So not just clutter of the old batteries and, um, you know, too many jars of jam, but uh, talk about this other kinds of clutter. Yeah, so most people think of the things clutter. But there is as much time clutter as anything, overflowing email boxes, overflowing calendars with too many commitments. That is a huge area. As, as you work through sort of your stuff clutter, you realize that the, the time clutter, stuff clutter, and the third one, which I call mind clutter, those things are all related. So if you don't, if your time is not really in a way that's being helpful to you and simplifying your life, you're not really going to have the t- proper time to even consider organizing or thinking through your stuff clutter if you have it. And if, you're, if your mind is r- racing all the time on things you need to do or things you need, haven't finished, it's just they're all kind of very intertwined. So w- what I work with people on is starting with how do you want to envision your, what's your ideal state? What's your de- most desired life? Starting from there, then working them through some workshops and some reflection tools to to get them to a place where they can feel that they can really take it on and live their best life. Because that's that's why, that's my passion and that's why I started this company. I love organizing things too, but really helping people simplify their lives so they can thrive outside of their stuff. That's the, that's the why for me. Oh, so interesting. All right. I'm going to try to make it to see Michelle Vig uh, at Mont- Mount Olivet on March 4th. Um, Michelle Vig from Neat Little Nest. You've got your website, neatlittlenest.com. People can find you on Instagram at Neat Little Nest. Thank you so much for coming in here. I uh, I think I have understood your your position on clutter more. And even as I live my life surrounded by too many things, I will respect this. I like this idea of decluttering my time. That, that that calls to me. So, all right. I'm on your side. You sold me. Mer- Michelle Vig of NeatLittleNest.com. Thank you for coming in. Thank you. All right, everybody. We come back. We're going to talk about healing soups. We're going to talk about what you're cooking. Text line is filling up. 81807. Text me what you're cooking. I want to know. Dara here. Okay. So the recipes just went up. We have the healing winter soups. Because everybody in my office has a cold this week. I had a cold. Is it the same where you work? I would not be surprised. We are a sniffling state right now, I think. Sniffling and coughing. Coughing into your elbow, I hope. Right? Yeah. Good hygiene. That's what we're talking about today. And we're talking about feeling better by making soup. All right. So are you one of the people that believes that a really spicy soup will fix you when you're sick, kind of open up your head? Well, if you are in that camp, I have a beautiful recipe from Bon Appetit magazine for a kimchi miso ramen. This is really easy. You're really opening two jars. You're opening your miso jar, your kimchi jar, and some other stuff is happening in the middle. Okay. That's a I, – I like this. I'm, I am – the belief that the spicy things will fix the colds. I one of my kind of homemade remedies is just chicken broth with a with a garlic clove in it. it really helps. Number four recipe of my healing winter soups: split pea soup. 
you know I'm a split peak fanatic. Um, you can make it in a slow cooker. You can make it in a soup um, on your just stove. Get your house all warm. You know, they are actually full of fiber and vitamin A, those little split peas. They're really good for you. I want you to make split pea soup with ham hocks. That's the recipe I put up. All right. I always hear from vegetarians. They want a good soup too. How about oyster mushrooms? A lot of local people are growing oyster mushrooms. They're in a lot of stores. You can get them at Forest to Fork and Keg and Case Marketplace. A lot of co-ops. It's nice. And I have a recipe for oyster mushroom miso soup. So the recipe that I have is actually just chicken broth, but I think you go in and you can just substitute your vegetarian situation because, you know, you should if you're a vegetarian. All right. My number two, beef broth. So all the athletes, all the new age health practitioners, everybody is all about bone broth. In the olden days, we called it soup or bouillon Remember that? Who says bullion anymore? But it's what happens when you cook bones in water with a little vinegar, which liberates the gelatin and the chondroitin, which is, you know, you remember people are always taking glucosamine these days in a pill to make their joints stop hurting. Well, you can actually just get it from nature by making your own bone broth. So I put a, re- I put a recipe up if you just want to have an all-day project. It's really quite luxurious. And then you can go be a professional chef to the Lakers something because that's what they eat. Uh, everybody put, does does hard work that hurts their joints. They all are all about bone broth. All right. And my number one healing soup, you knew it was going to be chicken soup. They don't call it the Jewish penicillin for nothing. It is also everybody's chicken. <laughs> it's everyone's penicillin. It is the Chinese penicillin. It is the, uh, you know, hippies in the desert penicillin. It's everybody's penicillin. Uh, because chicken soup has been scientifically proven. Scientists did this. They went and they they did a control group. They fed them no chicken soup. They took uh, another group. They fed them chicken soup. And guess who got better from their colds faster? Yes, it was the chicken soup drinkers. Um, it just it boosts your antibodies and your white blood cell counts. It does all these things because your grandma was right. She was right to give you chicken soup when you were sick. I put a recipe up from the good old barefoot Contessa Ina Garten because I love her, and I think y'all need to make some soup. And that is all I have to say up at wccoradio.com slash menu or just on the wccoradio.com website right now. All the good healing broth, healing soup, healing kimchi soup, all those soups, they're all up there. All right, we're going to come back. We are going to do the Ask Me Anything part of the show. Um I have a question about the difference between chicken broth and bone broth when it is purchased at a grocery store. Um, I think that is, you know, it kind of depends on the brand. I think each one is different. You know, I've seen some very inexpensive grocery store bone broths, and then I've seen, you know, some some ones that are made in stores that are the, you know, gelatin just kind of firms up. So it's hard to generalize. I don't know that I can talk about that. But making your own broth is a is a just a lovely experience. You can really control the quality. A lot of people are in chefy world are obsessed with a what they call a double a double chicken broth. So you're using extra chicken backs and extra chicken wings and just to give it that more flavor, more gelatin. All right, so that didn't possibly answer that question. I think it's just, you know, 
you, you just don't know when you're comparing apples to apples. All right, we're going to take a little break here. We're going to come back, and then we're going to answer all of the Ask Me Anything questions. The text line is filling up. I also want to hear from you, 81807. All right, Dara here. When I am not writing for Minneapolis-St. Paul magazine, I am here finding out what you're cooking because I just <laughs> I just love to know. All right, one of you heroes made a pork roast and gravy last night. Okay, so first of all, homemade gravy. That is one of the greatest things in life. Making hot pork sandwiches and mashed potatoes tonight, chicken and dumplings tomorrow. All right, somebody's living their best life. And it just makes me happy. All right. So Greg from Chaska has been making a batch of chili all night. The house smells wonderful. I bet it does. That's aromatherapy I can get behind. I am all about that. Just that wonderful smell that you're cooking. Everything is right in the world. I love that so much. All right. We got somebody uh, made a grass-fed rump roast. That's excellent. You know, here's why grass-fed is so important. So it keeps cows on the landscape. And guess what? Who else is living out there? Uh, Insects, birds, raptors, foxes, everything in the world. So that there are this horrifying bunch of stories this week about the insect apocalypse. And, you know, when the insect populations crash because we're using so many pesticides and we're using so much intensive agriculture, um, Everything else will crash. You know, they're the bottom of the food chain. That's what the birds eat. That's, And so I try to buy grass-fed meat whenever I can. Uh, it makes a huge difference. Flavors are great. Grass-fed rump roast. Another hero. Makes me really happy. Um, ha-ha. I, had a, I got a call back to the, uh, oh, the easiest way to organize, Dara. It is to take your 25-year-old daughter out of the house. <laughs> Yes, the best re- the best revenge is living well, right? Oh, that is a nice thing. Well, congratulations, uh, Mama or Papa, whoever uh, sent that in. You 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 launched your little one, and you got some organization as a bonus. That is a that is a good one. Um, I got a question. Uh, sister is coming to town, celebrating Christmas really late. Homemade eggnog. Is it worth it? Absolutely. Everyone should make eggnog one time, at least. It's, uh, it's, it's very rich, as, uh, as you already knew, and it's just fun. So, yeah, and, and happy, happy February Christmas to you. That's very sweet. Always nice to celebrate with family. All right. All right, what's happening in our world? Well, next week, everyone is always eating for their bikini body, but they are not eating for their brains. Okay, so that's why we're all sad and stressed out. And then we have to eat carbs to help us stop being sad and stressed out. And then that doesn't help our bikini bodies or our brains, right? So that's it. I think people are just eating too much for our what we perceive to be the best interest of our bodies. What is the best interest of our bodies? Getting on Shape magazine covers? No. Uh, all right, so then we're going to have who's been thinking about this, who's been working on this for many years an author named Michelle Bob. She has a whole shelf full of books on brain food connection. I, I'm going to, we're going to do a lot of this this year. I think that moods and food, brains and food, feeding your brain, I think this is uh, an important discussion really left out of the food conversation overall. And so she has a book. We're going to talk about, you know, what to eat to boost your mood. I suspect it's just 
I get to eat a bunch of chocolate to boost my mood, but maybe, maybe there's more to it than that. All right. So then till next week when we talk about moods and food, hope you are having a good mood and may your champagne sparkle and your tablecloth say nice and flat. And I will see you here next week on Off the Menu. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.